0: Alright, how many of you know what the sermon is on today? Alright, All right. well, this morning we're continuing in our series called At the Crossroads with God. And so in this series we're looking at people or groups of people who are coming to a crossroads with God and have to make a decision to follow God's plan or follow their own plans. And it makes a difference for eternity. You know, some decisions we make make no difference at all, right? They're inconsequential. And then some decisions we make, they affect our life either in the short term or in the long term, right? But then there are other decisions that affect eternity. And so last week we looked at Peter and Andrew and James and John in Luke chapter 5 and how Jesus called them to leave their, their, their fishing nets and all of that to follow him and become fishers of men. Today, we're going to look at another guy in the Bible whom Jesus called to follow him. And this guy looks to be a really nice guy. I mean, He's religious. He's moral, he's influential, I mean, he's the kind of guy that you would like to have for a friend or a neighbor. Maybe the kind of guy you'd like to go golfing with, or fishing with, or or watch a game with. And so his story is found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we're going to look at it in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, if you want to turn there, and maybe we'll draw some details in from the other Gospels as we do. So let's look at the story, and we're going to read the entire passage first, so that we can get a sense of the whole story, and then we'll come back And unpack it together. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. It says this As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Would Would you bow with me for a moment now in prayer over the word of God? Oh, Heavenly Father, God bless your name. God, this is your word. God, we love it. It's a light to our path. It's a lamp to our feet, God. It's bread for our souls, and it's water for our spirit, God. So strengthen us, encourage us, and empower us by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's unpack this a little bit together this morning, all right? Verse 17, the first part of verse 17, it says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. All right, pause there for just a minute. You know, it says... Jesus started on his way, and this man ran up to him, fall, fell on his knees. Now picture that scene just for a minute if you can, right? As you look at the context of this story, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time, and he's, he's taking his time getting there all along the way. He's stopping uh, in various towns and little hamlets and to teach the crowds and to heal the people and to minister to their needs. And, and you see, that's what's happening in this story. Just before this man runs up to Jesus comes the story of Jesus blessing the little children. How um, the parents were trying to bring the children to Jesus, and the disciples were stopping them, saying, I no, don't bother Jesus with these children. And, and Jesus rebuked the disciples, saying, no, let the children come to me. And so Jesus is spending time with the people, teaching them, ministering to them, talking with them, blessing their children of all things. And uh, by the way, you know, Christmas is coming up, right? And I'm just saying, uh, long before anyone lined up to see Santa, children were lining up to see Jesus. I'm just saying. <laughs> so in our verse here, it says, as Jesus started on his way. So it looks like Jesus is finished in whatever town that he had stopped in. He, he's done teaching and healing and playing with the children and blessing them. And he, he's starting on his way again, continuing on his way to Jerusalem. And it says this man runs up to him. A man ran up to him. Now, we don't know who this man was. Luke says that he was a certain ruler, right? So, so we know that he was important, and he's influential. We also know from the story that uh, he followed the commandments. So it looks like he's religious. At least outwardly, he's moral and religious, right? But Matthew tells us that he was young, so he's probably not a member of the Sanhedrin, because you have to be a certain age to be a member of the Sanhedrin. So, But we also know from the passage that he's wealthy. And so he's probably, he may have been a member of one of the, uh, an influential religious Jewish family, a Jewish aristocrat, if you will, who had been given some type of authoritative responsibility, right? And so yeah, he's a rich young ruler, you know, and I, the image I get here looks kind of me like this. Here's this guy. He's in the crowd that day. He, he's listening to Jesus teach and, uh, uh, he's watching as people are healed and ministered to. Maybe he's enjoying it as the children are brought to Jesus and he's blessing them. Uh, but clearly he wants to talk to Jesus. He's waiting for his time for a first turn. He wants to get to Jesus. And he's got something important on his heart. He really wants to ask him. And it's really important he gets there because when Jesus got up and started down the road out of town, he chases him down. I mean, he's not content just to say, oh, oh well, well, maybe maybe next time. You know, maybe next time he's in town, uh, maybe I can get him then. He's not content to say that. He clearly really wants to talk to Jesus enough to risk possible embarrassment because remember the disciples it appears had been the people who were managing who gets to get to jesus and get close to jesus jesus right and so there's this possibility that the disciples would 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 turn him away there's a possibility that he might look like a groupie and you know if i think if i was the 13th disciple i would have been like hey hey buddy listen there's no backstage passes here the master's done for the day you know try again another day right But the man overcomes all of that, all of that that potential, all of that fear, and he comes running up to Jesus anyway. And, And I think this is a great quality that we see in this guy. You know, there were a lot of people in the Gospels who were commended for coming boldly, even embarrassingly boldly sometimes, to Jesus. I mean, think of the woman with the issue of blood, how she pressed through that crowd to touch the hem of his robe, and she was rewarded. Think of the Syrophoenician woman who went to Jesus and and Jesus kind of gave her a rebuke. And even in spite of that, she pressed on and said, you know, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And she was rewarded for that. Think of the leper who risked his life to come up to Jesus in the middle of a crowd, which was against their law. He could be stoned to do that. And, And yet he was rewarded for that. Or think of blind Bartimaeus who kept on shouting and calling after Jesus while everyone else was trying to shout him down. He was rewarded, right? Or the two blind men in Matthew 9. I love this one. Who, they, they followed Jesus all day, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Only to have Jesus go into the house at the end of the day without healing them. But that, that didn't make them give up. They came into the house where he was, where it looks like Jesus, I mean, he's done for the day. He's retired, right? Maybe he's getting ready for bed. You know, and, and they asked for healing. And they rewarded. I mean, these guys just weren't giving up, right? I mean, they come across to me like, I mean, if Jesus had been in his pajamas, they wouldn't have cared. You know how I know that? They were blind. <laughs> they wouldn't have cared. And, and so they pressed in and they were rewarded. All of these were commended and rewarded for their diligence in seeking him out. And, and what's really cool, I think, about this is that there are certain things that you never ever see Jesus say in the Gospels. There's certain ways that you never ever see Jesus react in the Gospels. He never says anything like, Oh my goodness, would you just leave me alone for a minute? He never says that. He, He never says, you know, would you just give me a break? Just give me a break for a second. He never says, what's wrong with you? Can't you see I'm busy? But Jesus never says anything like that. As a matter of fact, he gave several teachings on how we should keep coming to God in faith. Keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking, right? Hebrews 11 6 says, God rewards those who diligently seek him. I feel like I need to just encourage somebody with that. Somebody who, uh, this isn't in my notes. Somebody who feels like you've been seeking and seeking and, and just going through something and seeking and seeking. God rewards those who diligently seek him. Keep on going. Keep on pressing in with God. Keep seeking him. And that's what's happening here. This guy, um, Jesus is on his way out of town, and and this guy runs Jesus down. I mean, not like in a car, but, you know, he, he chases him down, right? He's not going to miss his opportunity with Jesus. If you want to receive something from God, seek diligently after him. And then next it says this. He fell on his knees before him. You know, that's a good posture to be in as well. Because think of the Pharisees for a minute. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't come on their knees before Jesus. They came to Jesus standing before him in a confrontational posture. But here, like so many others who received blessings for Jesus, this very important and influential young man comes to Jesus on his knees. I mean, there's some humility there. I mean, people would have known who he was. He would have been recognizable. And rich rulers weren't the types of people who usually got on their knees before other people. But he doesn't seem to care about what they think or what their opinions are of him or anything like that. He gets on his knees before Jesus. That's a good place to be. If you want to receive something from God, come before him with humility. James said it this way, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's in a good position, at least outwardly here. He's he's seeking Jesus diligently. He approaches Jesus with humility. And then going on, second half of the verse, he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, can I tell you something? That is the right question. You know, there's no more important question in life than that question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? eternal life you know there may be many other important questions in life like who am i going to marry right what am i going to do for a job what am i going to do for a career important questions right also some of you probably had important questions today like what am i going to wear for church some of you late to church sometimes because you can't figure out what you're going to wear right some of you are already thinking about another important question what am i going to have for dinner after church what am I going to get for Christmas? When's the next iPhone come out? Right? All right, some questions in life are more important than other questions, right? But this guy is focused on eternal issues. Some people go through life, you know, so focused on earthly, worldly questions that they never stop to ask the eternal questions. Jesus said it this way, What good will it be for someone to gain the entire world and then lose their soul? Nothing's more important than this question. And this guy's asking it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's look at Jesus' response. Verse 18. Jesus answered, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus pauses for a second before answering his question to ask one of his own. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, why does Jesus do this? Well, you know, it was a little bit unusual for this man to call Jesus good teacher. Rabbis in those days were often called teacher or called master in the sense of being an expert uh, in the law or a leader But they usually reserved the word good to describe God and so Jesus uses the opportunity afforded by that question to point that out right now. He's not correcting the man He's pointing out the implications of what he just said. He's not denying his deity here. He's affirming it So going on he says to the man You know the commandments you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And so Jesus starts to give him the commandments here. Now, this would have, wouldn't have been new to, to this young man or to anyone who was listening, right? Uh, and if the Pharisees were around, they would have been very pleased to hear Jesus say this. They were very familiar with the commandments. and They, they thought that by them, they had life, right? But I want you to notice something about this. Jesus lists here what we call the Second Tablet Commandments. Because it's believed when when Moses came down from the mountain after God had written the commandments on the two tablets, that uh, the uh, first tablet contained all the vertical commandments about your relationship with God. Don't have false idols, don't worship false gods, and so forth. And at the Second Tablet, that were all the horizontal commandments about how we should treat each other. And Jesus starts to give them all these horizontal commands. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie. Honor your father and mother. All except one. Any of you see which one is missing here? Which one Jesus didn't say? Yeah, covetousness. Do not covet. Jesus doesn't list it. He doesn't mention it. Now, I think the reason is because he's going to get to that in a minute with this gentleman. He's going to go into that in a little bit more detail to the heart of of the issue. And so Jesus begins to answer this question about eternal life by quoting these commands. Now, why? Why? Why does he do that? I mean, any of you who've read the New Testament, even one time through, know that you don't inherit eternal life by your ability to keep the Ten Commandments. Right? You don't inherit eternal life by being good enough or earning it or through your own righteousness. Right? Paul said in Galatians, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified, right? You can't um, earn eternal life by by keeping the, the law good enough. Jesus himself had already told them, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So even the best experts at keeping the law had not been able to keep the law well enough in God's sight to inherit eternal life. As a matter of fact, the purpose of the commandments was not to bring eternal life, but to point to sin. The commandment points to you and says, you're a sinner. You don't measure up. That's what the commandment does. It points out sin, but it doesn't do anything about it. But when you read the Gospels and the New Testament, it becomes abundantly clear that Jesus came to fix that problem. He died on the cross to take our sin problem he died on the cross for your sin for my sin right he he paid the penalty for us he did for us what we could never do for ourselves he died the just for the unjust to bring us to god that is so that we can inherit eternal life it says it's by grace you have been saved through faith this not of yourselves it is the gift of god and so why does jesus then here begin talking to him about these commandments and why does he seem to skip this one on covetousness? Well, let's just read it a little further and find out. Verse 20. It says, the man answers Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, there's just a couple things I want you to see about this response. Right? First, he had a failure, I think, to appreciate God's holiness. He says, All these I have kept since I was a boy. I mean, really? All of them? Really? I mean, there may have been times he kept them. There may have even been many times he kept them. He may even have kept them better than all of the friends that he grew up with. And he may even have been commended by the local rabbis and Pharisees as a young man who kept the law. But certainly not perfectly. right? Not 100% of the time, right? And so if you want to inherit eternal life by keeping the commandments... How perfectly do you have to keep them in order to inherit eternal life? 75% of the time? 100% of the time? Maybe just more often than not? James said it this way. He said, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And you see, here's our problem. Our problem is often a matter of perspective. You know, when we compare ourselves with other people, we invariably come off smelling like roses. Why? Because they're all sinners too, right? And we have this nasty little habit, I think each one of us is susceptible to, of minimizing our own faults and maximizing the faults we see in other people. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? But when you compare yourself to God's holiness, to the one who never sinned, to the one who is blazing in holiness, to the one who is described as having eyes of fire and a voice like thunder, when you compare yourself with him, you realize you don't measure up. You end up like Isaiah in his calling, crying out, woe to me, I'm undone. When you think you're holy and righteous and so special, begin to compare yourself with Jesus to get a better perspective. He had a failure, I think, to appreciate God's holiness. And then the next thing I want you to see is this. He has a sense of lack in his spirit. A sense of lack in his spirit. something A sense that something's still not right. Something is still not complete. Something is still missing. I mean, I mean, think about it. If you've really kept all of these commandments so well for your whole life, if you're so holy and righteous and upstanding, why are you coming to Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, he's looking into his heart and sensing there's a lack. There's still something that must be made up for. Something that's not quite all the way there yet. Jesus, I've kept all these commandments since I was a boy, but what else must I do? I feel like there's something else I don't quite measure up. And Do you notice the perspective bias in how he phrased this question? I mean, he didn't ask, Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? What do I need? He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the focus here seems to be on his own works, what he does. He seems to be asking, what good work or or thing can I add to all of this commandment-keeping that will get me over the top, that will make the pearly gates swing open for me? You know, tell me, Jesus, maybe a sizable gift to your ministry. You know, maybe a, a word spoken to the right influential person on your behalf. Tell me, Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Whatever it is, he senses a lack in his spirit. There's something deep down he knows just doesn't measure up. You know, in Ecclesiastes, it says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of humanity. That there's something down within us that realizes that, you know, we're missing something. We're missing something. And God placed it there so that we would begin to seek him out, to find out what that something is, that we would uh, come across the Lord Jesus Christ, find salvation in him. And so that's what this guy is experiencing, going on. Verse 21, and I really love the first part of this verse. It says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now pause there for a second. Don't rush over that. You know, I just love that this verse is here. It says so much. It really changes the whole dynamic of the conversation the interaction for me, I think. Because this isn't just academic for Jesus. This isn't just some philosophical discussion that Jesus is engaging in. This guy not only has Jesus' attention, he has Jesus' affection. Jesus loves him. Can I encourage you? When you come to Jesus, you can be sure that whatever he says to you, it's because he loves you. It may not always be the thing you want to hear. It may not always be easy. But he will be looking... At you and loving you. You know, if you struggle with this idea that Jesus loves you, you know, some people, it's easy to think, you know, I, I do believe God loves everybody else but me. You know, if you struggle with this idea that Jesus loves you, consider these verses. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. And that's what Jesus did for you. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For I'm persuaded that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Going on. Verse 21. One thing you lack, he said, Go. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. One thing you lack, he said. Okay, here it is. I mean, he's a moral man. He's an upstanding man in the community. He sensed this lack. He's coming to Jesus. And now Jesus is about to tell him. Ready? Get your pen. Get your paper out. Right? Here's the key to eternal life. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, wait. What? What? Exactly. Say what? I mean, is Jesus saying to all of us here that that's the key to eternal life? If you just go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then you are guaranteed a place in heaven. The pearly gates is just going to swing open and the angels are going to sing the hallelujah chorus as soon as you arrive. Well, in a word, no. All right, That's not what Jesus is trying to say. I mean, how do I know that? Well, because Jesus doesn't seem to be teaching an eternal principle here, right? He's not talking to the crowd right now. He's talking to this guy. And he doesn't teach that anywhere else as a universal principle. And the New Testament doesn't really teach that either. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us that it's possible to give all you have to the poor and gain nothing. Now, generosity is taught in the Bible, right? Generosity is taught in many places in the New Testament, but not as a means to eternal life, but as a response to the grace and renewing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? So so what's happening here then? Well, the real key that leads to eternal life is in the following Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, it leads to where Jesus is. Following and loving Jesus leads you to eternal life. Jesus loves this guy, wants to be gracious to him. He wants him to... experience this eternal life that he's asking about. And it's not that Jesus is just being unreasonable or giving him some huge high hurdle to cross, you know, give all your stuff away. It's not that Jesus is giving him some unique faith challenge that no one else has. It's that Jesus is saying, you know what? I don't want a token gift. I don't want a favor. I want you, all of you. I want your heart, your life, your everything. Everything. He wants us to follow him. Why? Because following Jesus leads to eternal life. And I believe Jesus can see into this guy's heart that the thing in his life that will get in the way of following him is his riches. The thing that will compete with Jesus for supremacy on the throne of his heart is his riches. So Jesus identified that thing, right? If you'll conquer that one thing, if you get that one thing out of your life and follow me, make me the most important thing in your life, it will lead you to eternal life. It's about who is on the throne of your heart, and you know Jesus often does that with us, doesn't He? I mean, he identifies that thing that will divide our allegiance, that thing that will challenge Him for supremacy in your heart. He identifies it, He names it, and then challenges us to lay that down to follow Him. You know, and that thing might, it might be something different. For everybody, And not only that, it might be something different now for you than it will be next week or next month or next year. I mean, think of the woman caught in adultery for a minute. I mean, Jesus didn't tell her to sell everything that she had and give to the poor, right? He told her to leave her life of sin and follow him because that was her big issue at that moment. Think of the guy who came to Jesus and said, you know, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, you know, first now you follow me. Because I think Jesus knew that This guy's big problem was procrastination. And if he didn't follow him then, he wouldn't follow him later. Jesus knows the thing that's in our heart that will challenge him for supremacy. Whether it's a type of sin, an attitude, a desire, a relationship, or whatever it is, he knows it, he names it, and he says, lay that down to follow me. So don't be surprised or dismayed when Jesus identifies these things for you. He does it because he loves you and wants you to have eternal life. And so here, he tells this guy, sell his riches, and then come, follow him. And now I wish, I wish I could just press the pause button right here between verse 21 and 22, right? And just look at the scene carefully for a minute and, and see everyone's face and everyone's heart and what's going on here. I think you'd see over on this side, here's Jesus, and, and he's looking at the man and he loves him. There's love in his eyes, and everything about his eyes and his face and his posture is openness, and Come, come. He wants him to come and experience everything that's been on his heart, that eternal life. And then over here on this side is this rich young ruler, and when you look at the young man, you see a look of shock and dismay. He wasn't looking for a life of following someone else. He wasn't looking for a life of surrender to someone else's agenda and plans. He was just looking for one thing to add to all his commandment keeping, to ensure a place in heaven. But giving everything up for him, well, that's just a step too far. That's just too much to ask. And so going on in verse 22, it says that this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He looked at Jesus, what Jesus was offering, and what the world was offering and chose the world. He walked away from the Savior to hold on to what could never save him. He walked away from the one who is the truth to hold on to the deceitfulness of riches. You know, sometimes you have to choose between following Jesus and what the world has to offer. Going on, in verse 23, it says, Jesus looked around and says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because of everything that we've just seen here. Riches have the potential to deceive you, to blind you to your spiritual needs. You know, sometimes when you have no material needs, it's easy to think you have no spiritual needs as well. Going on, verse 24, it says, the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? I mean, so now they're getting worried, right? They just saw this guy who looked like he was all in for Jesus, who had it all together, right? Turn away in sadness. And now, now Jesus says that it's hard to enter the kingdom of God. And, and this seems to have shocked them, right? And so they seem disturbed. They're, they're take, talking amongst themselves and asking, well, if that's how it is, then, then is it even possible for anyone to be saved? I mean, is anyone going to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus hears them and says this. He says, with man, this is impossible. Or I can imagine that just hung in the air for a minute. Humanly speaking, you can't save yourself. But going on, he says, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter, as usual, finally speaks up for the group. And you can see, they're still a little bit unnerved and upset and agitated by, and confused by what's happening. But Peter says, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. It's like you're saying, you know, Jesus, you know, we left our nets. We left our, our, our jobs to follow you. Uh, we've left our wives and our children at home. we following you around the countryside. You know, Matthew here, he left his lucrative job as a tax collector. Uh, Simon the Zealot, he left his life of, of, of battling Roman soldiers to follow you. Are you saying it was for nothing, Jesus? Are you saying there's no hope here? Jesus, what are you saying? And Jesus, in his way, calms him down and tells them this. Verse 29. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. It's like he's saying, guys, it's about the following. I mean, you left all of this stuff to follow me. Just keep following me. Just keep following Jesus. No matter what trial comes up, no matter what challenge comes your way, no matter what temptation comes your way, just keep following Jesus. If you think you can't see 50 steps ahead, or 30 steps, or even 10, or even 5 steps ahead, if all you've got is one step ahead that you can see, just keep following Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep your faith in Him. Keep your heart directed towards Him. Amen. Just keep following Jesus. It leads to eternal life. All right, just a couple concluding thoughts this morning. You know, I think this is one of the most tragic stories in the Bible. I mean, this young man, he had so much going for him, so much potential, so much opportunity, so much wisdom and insight. But think about it. He came to the right person. He asked the right question. And he received the right answer. But he made the wrong decision. And he may be the only person... In the Gospels, whoever came to Jesus on his knees and left in a worse state than when he came. He was so close and he missed it. Can I encourage you? Don't be that man. Don't come close to Jesus and then miss out on eternity because you were more interested in what the world had to offer. Don't walk away from Jesus to hold on to something the world's offering you, right? You can't keep the things of the world anyway, right? Remember missionary Jim Elliott, he famously said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Would you bow in prayer with me over the word of God? You know, this morning I believe that God is challenging our hearts by his word and by his spirit to follow him closely. And I believe he's challenging many of you, many of us, our hearts by his word and by his spirit. To draw closer to Him. And so I want to pray for you first. For some of you, maybe here, maybe you you, you could name that thing right now. That thing that's been, been challenging, that you've been struggling with, you could name it. Could be a lust of the eye, a lust of the flesh, a pride of life, uh, could be a relationship or anything else. But you would come today and say, you know what, Pastor Paul, I can I recognize it. Jesus has named it in my heart, you know, and I want to respond to Jesus this morning by laying that thing down and following him, and I want to pray for you. You just raise your hand right where you are, where no one is looking around so that I can pray for you. Thank you for that hand and that hand. Anyone else? Say, yeah, there's a thing, and I just want to lay it down, and Jesus has named it. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? I want to pray for you over that. And thank you for that hand as well. Amen. God, you see these hands, God. God, I pray for these precious people. God, things do come up, God, and uh, and they challenge us, God, and, and we have trials or temptations or struggles. I pray for all of these things, God, that, that people have raised their hands for, God. I pray that you strengthen them, encourage them, even as by an act of faith, faith, they're raising their hands to lay those things down today. May it so be and work out in the rest in their lives, God, on Monday and Tuesday through Saturday, God, that you have supremacy above everything else. And then next, I just... Wondering, you may be here and you'd say, you know, Pastor Paul, I haven't really been following Jesus that closely at all. You know, maybe you've never really started following him at all yet. Maybe you've never uh, really given your life to him. And you've just been checking out this Jesus thing for for a little bit and uh, seeing what, what he's like. And this morning you'd say, you know what, Pastor Paul, I am ready to follow Jesus to give my life to Him. I don't know what it means for all the rest of my life and everything that's going to come my way, but I know that I want to walk it with the Lord Jesus. And maybe either for the first time or maybe you did know Him some time ago, but you really haven't been following Him at all. You've been away from Him. And you'd say you want to come back. And you'd say, that's me. If you'd just raise your hand and let me see it. I want to pray with you. not going to call you out or embarrass you or anything. just want to pray with you, whether it's here or at home. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'd like to ask you to follow me in this prayer. It's not a magic prayer or anything like that. It's just a beginning point for a life of following and walking with Jesus. Would you say this prayer out loud with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I see the crossroads I stand at this morning. And I'm deciding to follow you. I confess I can't save myself, but I believe that Jesus came to fix that. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose from the dead. Jesus, please be my Savior and my Lord, help me follow you all the days of my life. And lead me to eternal life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I can tell you, if you've prayed that, whether for the first time, or whether it's just a, a rededication of your heart, God's done everything that you've asked Him to do. And I want to encourage you, whether you just came to Christ, just now, or whether you've been walking Him with Him for months, or years, or decades, to do something on purpose, to grow in your relationship with God. Keep growing closer to him. Get in the word of God. It's his word. You'll find he's talking to you in ways you never imagined. Get in prayer because he wants to hear from you. Let someone know that you're a follower of Jesus. Get together with other followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, would you bow with me in prayer as we just close this service this morning? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for challenging our hearts, God. God, help us be followers of you in the large issues and in the small issues of life as well. God, help us follow close to you until the day that you bring us to glory to inherit eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.